An American icon, a Hollywood legend, a staunch Republican, a hater of communism. John Wayne is a name synonymous with the American cowboy, almost like he was the product of a steamy one-night stand between Uncle Sam and the Statue of Liberty. As an actor, he had 178 credits to his name, his own production company, Batjack Productions, that he started in 1952, and he used his superstar status to highlight his uber-conservative political beliefs and anti-communist pro-war stance. Wayne died of gastric cancer in 1979 at the age of 72, a cancer that may have been either brought on or accelerated by his involvement in the 1956 Genghis Khan biopic The Conqueror, in which Wayne starred as Genghis Khan. The movie was filmed at Snow Canyon State Park in Utah, which was 137 miles downwind of Yucca Flats, a known atomic testing site in which 11 atomic bombs were dropped in 1953 alone. In addition, producer Howard Hughes, yeah, that Howard Hughes, <laughs> shipped truckloads of dirt from the site back to the studio for reshoots, unaware that it was highly irradiated. 91 cast and crew members had cancer by 1980, with 46 of those 91 eventually dying, including John Wayne himself. Today, on a very special Weird Shit Wednesday edition of Filmgasm, we take you through the set of The Conqueror and the tragic aftermath as well as the illustrious career of John Wayne by highlighting a handful of his films that we believe best represent his career as a whole. We will also talk about his far-right political beliefs that are so balls-to-the-wall crazy you won't believe it. I mean, this guy endorsed Barry Goldwater for president, and we will explain why that's insane, I promise. Oh, man. Welcome to the 15th episode of Filmgasm, where the magic of movies is still alive and well, and we hope you'll learn a little something along the way. My name is Connor Izagari, and I'm the guy talking to himself in a dark room at least once a week, mostly about movies, and I guess there's a few of you out there listening. Thanks for tuning in to treat yourself to some nifty trivia you can use to impress someone at a party someday. I'm joined today by my esteemed partner, Austin Johnson Esquire. How's it going? Who will be aiding me in sorting out the complicated life and death of the Duke. Check out Filmgasm.com for daily reviews and articles, as well as the latest trailers. I hope you like the newly redesigned website. I certainly do. It was time for a change. It certainly wasn't forced upon me by a shitty hosting site. <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> today we will be focusing on 11 films instead of the 13 we originally promised. I know, I'm sorry, but with my vacation a couple weeks back, I simply did not have time. So we'll be forced to omit 1948's Red River and 1962's How the West Was Won. I promise that one day we will do a rewind and talk about these two films, but right now, I'm afraid you're going to have to make do with 11. But trust me, if what we've seen <laughs> matches up with everything else, you did not miss much. No, it's more of the same, more of the same. Speaking of the rewind, I don't have anything for you this week. No new updates on past episodes. But I will be introducing a new segment starting next week called This Week in Film where I'll fill you in on any casting news, announced movies, famous deaths, or any other interesting movie news that happens in between episodes. That way, we'll always have something to say. And there should be endless content there. And, you know, we'll do the rewind only when we've actually got something to talk about with past episodes. So, John Wayne. Big man, the man himself. Duke. The Marlboro Man come to life. Yeah. So, big, big cowboy. Prior to this podcast... Did you have any experience with John Wayne's films? Uh, I was shown the Alamo at school when I was in elementary school, um, so I don't recall a lot of it. I remember it. I remember being fascinated by him. The character of him seemed very large on the screen. Yeah, that, that was kind of the goal always. He was a big person. Uh, he was pretty tall. Um, like you said, Marlboro Man kind of came to life, and when you're a kid, that's really cool. Um, especially living in Texas, growing. I grew up here in San Antonio, Texas, so that's um, something you. It seems to be a big influencer on uh, young children, especially young males. And I was one that I was one of those at a time. And he was interesting to me at that time, but I never felt the need to uh, re-explore anything that he's done in the past. You were kind of like, all right, I get it. Oh yeah, exactly. Like, cool. Let's move on. You know. Okay. And uh, so I never really did that until now. Yeah. And um, I can't say that I'm too impressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me neither. Really. Yeah, what, what about you? What had you seen before we? Okay, so before we did the podcast, I had to watch two John Wayne films in college. Okay, uh, okay. Stagecoach and The Searchers. Makes sense, yeah. Both of which we're going to cover later. But uh, I had to watch those for a uh, Southwestern film class, which I really enjoyed. I was not that big a fan of Stagecoach. I thought it was really dated. 
Uh, I could totally tell why John Wayne became such a star. For sure. He commands the screen unlike anybody else. Mm-hmm. More of like a give me that, it's mine kind of commanding of this. Yeah. Brain. It's not really, he doesn't share. <laughs> no. No, and, not um, at all. I liked The Searchers a lot. I thought that was very uh, atypical of what mm-hmm. he usually did. It was way darker than I expected. And uh, that was it for John Wayne until we did this. And uh, I will probably, if you know, I can, never watch his movies again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to try to yeah, mostly avoid. Yeah. It's just, it's so much of the same. Yeah. And there is a lot, there, there, he actually has a lot of movies that are on Amazon Prime. That's how yeah. I accessed a lot of them myself. So if you want to, go for that. And if you, you know, there's people out there who enjoy that stuff, you know, the, the Western. Um, but yeah, it's very, very redundant, yeah. you know, his career. His movies were incredibly easy to find. Yes. Because, yeah, they're, almost all of them are beloved by, you know, people over 60 Shout out, old. shout out to, uh, my brother just got married in uh, Missouri. Oh, right and on. And his, uh, his wife now, Caitlin, uh, her family at the, where we, where we, the wedding was, the ceremony, um, it was at like a farm, and at the house they had nice little John Wayne collection. Wow! Yeah, I was like, I'm like what VH, are the VHS and DVD. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm doing a <laughs> doing a podcast. I don't know if they share the same beliefs I do about like <laughs> the, the actor himself, but yeah, hey, that's really cool, you know. That is crazy. Wow. What are, what are the odds? But yeah, like you said, he is all over the place still, and yeah. uh, he's going to be probably forever. But mm. I would like to be a part of stopping that. <laughs> I mean, Polanski was a piece of shit, but at least it was different. Every yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. This guy, it was just the same fucking Western... Yeah, if you guy. joined us on the uh, 10th episode, it was, yeah, Roman Polanski. Um, you know, I think that's one of our best episodes here on Filmgasm. Right on. And uh, we, you know, explored a guy who you, some would call a piece of shit. But uh, I think John Wayne, if you really look at it, if you think for just five seconds about it, any person would be like, I don't think that guy was very fair. I don't think I was a really good good, good person. So nah. that's what we're here to kind of enlighten you about. <laughs> he wasn't a good person. He wasn't a good actor. So what yeah, not the really. fuck not was really. it that got this guy? To- Apparently, from what I've, I've heard, like guys like Kirk Douglas talk, and they said he was like really, really hardworking and showed up to set before people, you know, kind of mm-hmm. was yeah. that guy like really gritty. Yeah. Ah, true grit. Huh? <laughs> but <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand. The skill wasn't really there for me. Oh, like, no. The talent. It was just simply how he looked and... These wide, big, wide shots of him walking in by himself. He was a brand. Yeah, yeah. The Marlboro Man. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. All right. John Wayne was born Marion Robert Morrison. John Wayne's not even his fucking real name. Yeah. In Winterset, Iowa, uh, in 1907, to Mary Alberta and Clyde Leonard Morrison. Clyde developed a lung condition that required him to move his family from Iowa to the warmer climate of Southern California, where they tried ranching in the Mojave Desert. Until the ranch failed, Marion and his younger brother, Robert E. Morrison, swam in an irrigation ditch and rode a horse to school. Of course, John Wayne fucking rode a horse to school mm-hmm. when he was a kid. Makes sense. Just building on the legend. When the ranch failed, the movie, I mean, the family moved to Glendale, California, where Marion delivered medicines for his father, sold newspapers, and had an Airedale dog named Duke, mm-hmm. which was the source of his nickname, kind of like Indiana Jones. I, I prefer uh, Indy. <laughs> <laughs> we named the dog Indiana. <laughs> All right, anyway. He did well at school, both academically and in football, of course. When he narrowly failed admission to Annapolis, he was sent to, or he went to USC on a football scholarship from 1925 to 1927. <coughs> uh, fellow actor Tom Mix got him a summer job as a prop man in exchange for football tickets. Now, Mix was another actor who grew to hate John Wayne, as he believed Wayne would one day upstage him. Which is exactly what happened. Tom Mix was an early Western actor who gave John Wayne his entry into the business and grew to regret it pretty damn fast. Yeah. On the set, Wayne became close friends with director John Ford, for whom, among others, he began doing bit parts, and he began calling himself John Wayne. And real quick, I have an interesting story about Wayne while he was an extra. Nice. In 1928... Wayne was a featured extra on the set. Jeez, of the think film. about that. 1928. 1928. This was a while back. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> he rode a horse to school. This was, yeah, you know, yeah. He... The Oscars had just become yeah. a thing, you know, in 1928. So. Crazy. 1928, Wayne was, uh, he was on the set of the film Noah's Ark. And on the set, during the climactic flood scene, they actually flooded the set by pumping 600,000 gallons of water onto the set. The resulting flood was so bad that three extras were killed... They drowned. Uh, one was injured so badly his leg was amputated, and a few others were badly injured. This incident led to increased safety regulations the following year. 
Wayne was one of the extras who survived, as were actors Ward Bond and Andy Devine, who would co-star in a lot of Wayne's films later on. Mm -hmm. So I guess they became friends and bonded over their survival yeah. of this incredibly fucking dangerous film set that, that killed that, three people. They can do that to people, yeah. This was the 20s when nobody gave a shit about extras. No. no people still kind of don't give no. a shit about extras. I was about to say, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Wayne's first feature film was Men Without Women in 1930. And after more than 70 low-budget westerns and adventures, Wayne's career was stuck in a rut until John Ford cast him in 1939's Stagecoach, the movie that made him a star. And wouldn't you know it, Stagecoach is the first film on our list. Stagecoach was released in 1939. It was Wayne's first real starring role. It stars Wayne as the Ringo Kid. Mm -hmm. A gunslinger who agrees to escort a group of people traveling on a stagecoach through dangerous Apache territory. Co-stars Claire Trevor, Andy Devine, Thomas Mitchell, John Carradine, and Louise Platt. It was directed by John Ford, the undisputed king of American westerns. He would direct a great many of Wayne's most well-known films. It has an IMDb score of 7.9 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 100%. Woo! Saw it in college and I gave it a 7 at the time and I stand by that. Yeah, I think that's about right. Yeah. It's extremely dated. Uh, I'm sure at the time it was a magical, you know, new thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about 1939. You know, this is World War II time. This is... Yeah. We weren't even involved time. in World War II yeah. yet. Yeah. This is a fascinating time for pop culture before uh, things of World War II kind of took over in the 40s. So. This is right after the Great Depression. Yeah. Where people are looking for larger-than-life heroes. Mm -hmm. And John Wayne put that bill. Yeah. Time. yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's kind of the hero people may, maybe were uh, looking for. And yeah. came, maybe, maybe Stagecoach isn't as good as people think. Maybe it is the right timing. Maybe that's a big yeah. part of, that's a big very part of good its legacy. Point. So yeah. uh, that's how I feel about it. But, it, you know, this is a movie that I think played at the Draft House. Yeah, like recently. It's playing next week, actually. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, yeah. So this is this one that's still, you know, is still in people's minds. Uh, yeah, like Connor said, it's the one that kind of got him. Got his uh, first foot, you know, forward and going. So. And he looks extremely young in the movie. Mm -hmm. He's in his, like, 30s. Yeah. It's we kind of weird. Yeah. Because you're so used to seeing the kind of leather-faced, like, yeah. dirty, <laughs> dirty old man. You know, Wayne's films are actually a lot better if you just kind of think it's the same person. Yeah. Every single time going through, like, just crazy shit. If it's, like, a TV show, <laughs> yeah. Like, everything's just a different episode. It's always been the Ringo kid, just yeah. changing his name every time he goes to a different town. Oh, man. That's awesome. Crazy. <laughs> Stagecoast won two Oscars, Best Supporting Actor for Thomas Mitchell, who played the drunken doctor Josiah Boone, and it won Best Original Score for Richard Hageman, W. Frank Harling, John Leopold, and Leo Shukin. Never seen four people take original score before. He was nominated for an additional five Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Director for John Ford, Best Cinematography, Art Direction, and Film Editing. Not bad. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Stagecoach was the beginning of a long career for John Wayne, and uh, most of his films were westerns, with the occasional war movie thrown in for good measure. He didn't really venture out of his box very often. No, until it uh, was a part of his political agenda to be, yeah. to be in a war movie. So. Big time. In 1944, he helped found the Motion Picture Alliance for the Preservation of American Ideals, a conservative political <laughs> that organization. That stupid fucking title. Like, <laughs> come on. He later became the president of this organization. Come off it. <laughs> Wayne was a lifelong conservative, and his political beliefs would shine through in many of his films. All of his films are about, you know, America r rallying together on the frontier to take down the dangerous brown guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's essentially... And that's what's so fascinating about this time is, you know, we've seen so many things. We're exposed to so many things on the internet now. But think about, you know, the 30s and 40s, you know... There's, what they put in front of you is what you're going to believe and like what you're going to think uh, is like the representation of those people. Yeah. So you see John Wayne the hero, the big white guy, like you know, good looking white male. Yeah. Versus like you said, the brown people. He so, was America. Ugh, fucking, it's annoying. It's frustrating. Yeah. It's manipulative. <laughs> Incredibly. Yeah. Uh, did you want to mention anything about Rio Grande? Because you watched that movie. I did. This is another one that's on Prime. Uh, <laughs> boring. Really boring. <laughs> I watched it at work and I was just like kind of laughing to myself because I was, you know, at this point I think I had watched maybe six or seven and so I was just like, ah, oh, these are redundant. Which one am I watching again? <laughs> I had to like hit this, tap the screen to see what the title of the movie is. That's not a good sign. And Rio Grande is, is one of the weaker ones too. Um, there, there's sometimes moments in some of these films that are really, really good or there's aspects of it like on The Long Stay, there's aspects of like they actually speak their real language. 
There's nothing in the Rio Grande that was interesting to me at all. It's just boring through and through. It was probably made as another, you know, move, uh, money maker, you know. Yeah. Hey, for the families, you know, here you go, you know. He would release, like, three or four films a year. Just, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, he's yeah. working all the time. Yeah. All right, well, yeah, not really a lot to talk about with Rio Grande. No. It wasn't What's, on the list. Was, what what but, do we got up next? Yeah. yeah. Next one is 1952's The Quiet Man. Oh, okay, yeah. One of his we non-Western go. or non-war you know, war. Stars John Wayne as Sean Thornton, yes. a retired boxer who moves home to the Irish village of his birth and falls in love with the strong-willed Mary Kate, played by frequent Lane, uh, Wayne collaborator Maureen O'Hara. Sean is haunted by an incident where he killed a man in the ring and he hasn't fought since. Outside the ring or in it. Yes, this one's fun. Co-stars Barry Fitzgerald, Ward Bond, and Victor McLaglin. This film was also directed by John Ford. Yes. It has an IMDb score of 7.8, a Rotten Tomatoes score of 90%. And I give it an 8. I really liked this movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I think 8 is fair. This is probably my favorite of, yeah. of the John Wayne films. The Quiet Man is cute. It's yeah, charming. It's, and it's kind of quirky, kind of uh, kind of ahead of its time, in my opinion. Yeah, and for, it's fun. For, for its style. Yeah, it is. It's a fun one. It's I, mean, out of... I think, like you said, they collaborated uh, quite a bit as yeah. uh, actor, like lead actor, lead actress. I think, I think their chemistry is the best in this. Oh, for sure. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Because they're both kind of crazy. Yes. And their crazy works together. Yes, exactly. It's a great relationship movie. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. is weird for a movie from the 50s. <laughs> Ahead of its time, like I yeah. said. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, there is the occasional, you know, blurring of the line of consent. But that happened quite a lot in John Wayne's films. <laughs> That's the Just night. wait till we get to The Conqueror. Oh, Lord, have mercy. But, um, yeah, this movie was fun. It was dramatic. It's out of Wayne's wheelhouse, which is nice. Yes. Nice change of pace for us. Yeah. It won two Oscars, Best Director for John Ford and Best Cinematography. It had five more nominations, Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Victor McLaglin, who plays the town bully, and Mary-Kate's brother, Will Danaher. Good stuff. Uh, Best Original Screenplay, Art Direction, and Sound Mixing. The Quiet Man. Charming movie. Definitely check that one out. That's, I mean, that's, like, the, that's like the little diamond in the rough of this bunch. Yeah. If you're going to watch any of these... Watch The Quiet Man. Yeah, I think, and I think anyone would would find enjoyment in it. Yeah. My yeah. family watches it every St. Patrick's Day. Nice. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Very cute. So I'm going to let you take the reins on this next one because I was not able to get to this. 1953's Hondo. 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 Okay, Hondo's not that bad. It's uh, very similar. He, You know, oh, I found a family that needs me. I can like help out around the ranch or whatever. Every fucking time. Same thing, but it was like an hour and 22 minutes, which I'm a big fan of. Get to the point. <laughs> And there is, uh, there is something there. There's something there. He was in really good shape for this one. He was like, uh, you know, I don't think he was ever out of shape, uh, like in his prime, prime. But he he felt taller than usual. Uh, I think, I, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, really? I think, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I think this one's the one where he looks the most uh, most interesting to me as like a character. Yeah, I okay. guess is what is what I'd say. It's hard. It's hard to beat, you know, like Rooster Cogburn for some people. But I think this one's more. Typical cowboy. I think yeah. it's, it's probably my... Again, I love the length of it. <laughs> Being short, because some of these... like I wish all of these Yeah, you watch some of them, and you're like, man, there's just not enough substance Some here. of these are so fucking padded. Not, yeah, not enough substance to get through, you know, two and a half hours. Like, it's just a uh, waste, of, waste of time. Oh, for sure. Hondo, again, is also on Amazon Prime, for anybody who wants to check that one out. <laughs> Directed by John Farrow. Co-stars Geraldine Page, Ward Bond, and Michael Pate. Has an IMDb score of seven point one, Rotten Tomatoes score of eighty six percent. Not think bad. That holds up? Not bad. I'd I'd say like six or seven for me. Probably six. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was nominated for two Oscars: Best Supporting Actress for Geraldine Page, and it was nominated for Best Original Screenplay, though the nomination was later withdrawn. Once the Academy realized it had been based on a short story, uh, The Gift of Cochise from 1952, and it had not been reported mm, on the credits. Fascinating. Like, and the Academy was like, no nomination uh, for you. Actually. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't happen often, but when it does, it's fucking hilarious. Uh, there was also a TV show spun off of it called Hondo in 1967 that starred Ralph Tager as Hondo Lane. It only lasted 17 episodes. So Not surprising. Must not have been, you know, a masterpiece. The most captivating. Uh, there were, you know, was the sixties that had Bonanza, Gunsmoke, like they had better Western exactly, TV. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Saturated market. Before we get to the meat and potatoes of the Conqueror, I want to talk about the rest of the films that we believe best represented Wayne as an actor. I think that's a good good call. We're huh? gonna save that train wreck for last because there's a yeah. lot to talk about with that. Buckle up. So with that, yeah. With that said, let's talk about 1956's The Searchers. 
okay. based on the novel by Alan LeMay. Film stars Wayne as ex-Confederate soldier Ethan Edwards, who, along with a young partner, try to rescue his niece from Comanches. Co-stars Jeffrey Hunter, Vera Miles, Ward Bond, and Natalie Wood, future filmgasm topic for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gotta yeah. be. We don't know what happened. I think, like, we still... People are still thinking Robert Wagner killed her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Searchers was directed by John Ford. IMDb score of 8.0. Rotten Tomatoes score of 98%. I give it an eight. I think yeah. it's a good western. I think it's better than most of his films. Many I agree. consider this to be not just Wayne's best film, but one, but the greatest western of all time. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I liked it. It's darker, but you know, that's why it stands out. But best western of all time, no, is a hard. Oh, yeah. that's a big statement. Yeah, I honestly think that if I was going to pick the best western of all time, John Wayne's not anywhere near it. No, 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 <laughs> no. He's not really in the discussion for me personally. Yeah. yeah. But I guess if you had to, Searchers would be the one. That's not for like, me. I, I'm yeah. I don't even know. I it's, think I'd give it a seven. It's I think good. It's, it's not more great. Of my, it is. I, it is. Does have a dark, darker like tone to it for sure. So that's nice. Like you said, change of pace. Mm-hmm. But it, mm. and I'm, str- I'm struggling with that. Yeah. Weird for John Wayne, the super American, to accept a role as a Confederate soldier. Yeah. Unless you know. But actually, thinking about it, no, not that weird. Not that. Not that <laughs> odd for John Wayne. No. Not yeah. Hmm. He had way more in in, uh, in league with those people than he did with the Union, for sure. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Next up is 1959's Rio Bravo, starring Wayne as Sheriff John T. Chance, the local law who must keep a bad guy locked up in the town jail while his crime boss brother tries to spring him. And this film was, in fact, uh, director John Carpenter's favorite movie. Yeah. And he would base yeah. his film Assault on Precinct 13 on the general concept of, you know, People got to band together to keep the bad guy from breaking out the other bad guy. Yeah. Co-stars Dean Martin, famous crooner, uh, Ricky Nelson, famous rock star, Angie Dickinson, Walter Brennan, and Ward Bond. Ward Bond again. Yeah. He was one of his friends. He showed up in a <laughs> lot of his films. He's directed by Howard Hawks, one of the great Western directors of the 20th century. He has an IMDb score of 8.0 and another Rotten Tomatoes score of 100%. I gave it an 8, and this is interesting. Uh... Rio Bravo was made as a direct response to 1952's High Noon, another award-winning Western classic that John Wayne fucking despised. Mm-hmm. Now, have you seen High Noon? Yes, I have. What did you think? It's very good, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's very good. <laughs> I like High Noon. It's great. That, that, that's, yeah, that's more up my alley. Yeah. <laughs> High Noon stars Oscar winner Gary Cooper. Exactly. <laughs> as a sheriff who must face a dangerous outlaw alone because nobody in his town will help him. And uh, this is from an article by film critic Emmanuel Levy discussing Wayne and a director Howard Hawks' mutual disdain for High Noon and how it led directly to the creation of Rio Bravo. Quote, Hawks did not think a good sheriff was going to go running around town like a chicken with his head off asking for help. Instead, he claimed, a good sheriff would turn around and say, how good are you? Are you good enough to take the best they've got? Wayne's objections to the film are even stronger than Hawks. He described... Uh, writer Carl Foreman's plot with great contempt. Quote, In that picture, four guys come in to gun down the sheriff. He goes to the church and asks for help, and the guys go, Oh well, oh gee. And the women stand up and say, You're rats, you're rats. So Cooper goes out alone. It's the most un-American thing I've seen in my whole life, <laughs> charged the actor. For the rugged men of the frontier who had battled the Indians as well as nature would not be afraid of four villains. Instead, they would have united as they had united to make the land habitable. Wayne was humiliated by the movie's last scene, showing Cooper putting the United States Marshal's badge under his foot and stepping on it. Walking away from his job, as Cooper did, was inconceivable to Wayne's commitment to responsibility and public office. Wayne believed uh, High Noon was a direct insult towards him personally. And uh, he actually has a good reason for that. Uh... Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm glad it was aimed, you know, I'm glad it's aimed directly at him. High Noon was written by Carl Foreman, and Foreman was a victim of the 1950s Hollywood blacklist, brought on by the Red Scare and Senator Joseph McCarthy's House Un-American Activities Committee. And Wayne was a big supporter of that. Mm-hmm. We're going to do the, the Hollywood blacklist way down the road. I want to do a full proper film for sure. on that. For sure. But Wayne was a big supporter and he was the one who got Carl Foreman blacklisted. So let's explain what blacklisted exactly means. Yeah. Uh, to these... 
these people don't want them. <laughs> don't you want them. Plebes, you... They don't want them making anything. They don't want them being able to write anything, create yeah. anything, to be essentially out of the Hollywood club, you know, which is which is a fucking joke, you know. If you um, were even suspected of having communist sympathies or communist ties, you were ousted from the industry. Yep, and nobody would work. This with is you. where a good film uh, that came out recently called Trumbo, starring Brian Cranston. Yeah, uh, that's one you should definitely check out. Um, John Wayne makes appearances in it, like not obviously not him, but. There's a character. I can't remember who plays him, but he's in it. Shows, you know, kind of gives you some knowledge on all of that stuff. So I'd suggest going to watch that movie. Yeah. But, uh, oh, man. It's really, really, really weird and dangerous and dark that that can even happen to me. It's a bad time in Hollywood's history. Very bad time. It's equivalent to the Salem Witch Trials where, you know, there was no investigation. All you had to do was name names, and people took it as absolute truth. There was Mm -hmm. no, Mm -hmm. barely any investigation. And even so... If there was an investigation, the odds were already stacked against you just by having been accused. Yeah. Oh, and man. Wayne fucking loved this. He hated communism more than he, you know, more than he fucking loved cigarettes. If he, which is, yeah, five for six packs <laughs> yeah. a day, apparently. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. His, it's amazing how strongly he was against... It's almost like he's stronger against things than he is for his own beliefs and oh, for causes. Sure. It's really frustrating how if he if you didn't think the way he did, he didn't want you to be a part of... His club. Oh no, it's very frustrating. And I had mentioned earlier that Wayne became later became president of the Motion Picture Alliance for the Preservation of American Ideals. Yes. Well, this was when he became president. Yes. During the height of the blacklist, and the alliance made it their mission to hunt down and fire any secret communists in the studio system. And they also essentially invited Congress, uh, their House Un-American Activities Committee, to begin investigating the industry. They opened the floodgates for that. Uh-huh. Wayne saw Carl Foreman and others like him as a cancer that were infecting Hollywood with their communist ideals, and he wanted them rooted out. He went to great lengths to try and sabotage Foreman's career personally. Gary Cooper actually was a friend of Wayne's and a fellow conservative who took a chance on Foreman and partnered with him on High Noon, which essentially meant Cooper was now dead to Wayne. That got Cooper... Again, if yeah. you didn't think like him in Opry... <laughs> oh, no. Cooper him. straight up to, uh, was told by Wayne, you'll never work in this town again. Like that old cliche was said to Gary Cooper. But, you know, Rio Bravo is still a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> it was just made for the wrong reasons. You know, never make a movie out of spite. Fascinating part of film history, though. Yeah. I, I direct, I've never heard of that. Like, a, it's like a diss track, like when one rapper makes something and they, like, a rapper responds. Rio Bravo was a diss track. Two huge films, High Noon and <laughs> Rio Bravo. It's amazing. Incredible. Crazy stuff. Yeah. Wonder it's I can't wait to talk about the blacklist. That's gonna be an amazing film. It's gonna be fantastic. Definitely so look out for that. that. That's coming at some point, yeah. you know. Oh, we've endless content, but that's something that we're gonna be yeah. pretty pretty serious about. Next up, nineteen sixties The Alamo. Hey. One, one of two films that Wayne would personally direct, the other being his nineteen sixty eight pro Vietnam war film at the Green Berets. Which was poorly received. Mm-hmm. The Alamo tells the true story of the Texas soldiers who gave their last stand at the Alamo mission in the town of San Antonio in 1836. Wayne stars as Davy Crockett, Richard Widmark as Jim Bowie, Lawrence Harvey as William Travis, and Chill Wills plays a guy named Beekeeper. I only mention this because Wills is the only actor to get an Oscar nomination for his performance, despite being forgettable and inconsequential. <laughs> He led an aggressive nomination campaign that even Wayne said was a bit much. <laughs> I read that in the trivia and thought, that's too fucking weird not to That's amazing. <laughs> I don't know who he was. He was super forgettable. He's in the movie for like 10 minutes, and he ends up with a nomination, I think, just so they could shut the guy up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, man, that's incredible. The Alamo was not really that well received. It has an IMDb score of 6.9 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 50%. But, you know, I gave it an 8. I, I liked the album. That seems a little low, yeah. Or... But, you know, I, it gave me a sense of Texas pride. I think you like the Alamo more if, you, if you're from Texas. If you live here. Like if you yeah, live in if Texas. If you're from here or live here. It's yeah. a film that, you know, inspires you to, you know, to For greatness. Sure. It's really strange. The Alamo is just miles down from us right yeah. now. So, yeah. It's... <laughs> We're not far at all. It's not. Uh, it won one Oscar for sound mixing. Scored six more nominations for Best Picture. Best Supporting Actor for Chill Wills. Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, Best Original Song, The Green Leaves of Summer, which you may <coughs> recognize as the opening music to Inglorious Bastards. Yes. And Best Original Score for Dimitri Tompkin. It was remade in 2004 with Billy Bob Thornton and Dennis Quaid. And uh, I saw that one first a long time ago, and I really liked that. I never saw that. 
I never saw it. It was decent. It's way shorter. Too. Yeah, I, that's. <laughs> I love that idea. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. The Alamo is, uh, clocks in at two hours and forty minutes. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought. Yeah, that's, that seems low. That's uh, crazy. <laughs> Uh, and you may notice we're skipping over a shit ton of Wayne's films. Oh, yeah. Well, he has, what, like, 100 and whatever. Almost 200 films. Yeah, so. Like, that was not going to happen. <laughs> no, not at all. We not barely all. got through 11. We're highlighting the ones that we, you know, yeah, these are the best researched the best. and looked up that people said these are the ones that you need to see. Yeah. And the Alamo is, I would say it's worth a watch. It's padded. That's fair. Substantially. That's fair. And really, you, you you could kind of turn the movie on in the middle and not really be that lost. That's true. Like the only part that point. really matters. Watch is the, the last hour and a half, yeah, yeah. and you'll you'll be all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, take it from us. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, oh yeah, John Wayne was not a very good first time director. He had a lot of issues wrangling a cast together. Yeah, a lot of issues with Richard Widmark, who played Jim Bowie. He was a outspoken liberal. <laughs> Which basically means you're the fucking devil to John Wayne. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he called him Dick once, and Widmark leaned over and said, It's Richard, John. So for the rest of that set, the rest of the time filming, he'd be like, uh, Ready to go, Richard? Are you ready to film? Richard, are you? Can we yeah. come to the set, please, Richard? <laughs> like, what a petty piece of shit. <laughs> oh, man. Ugh, yeah, people had problems. Next up, 1962's The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, starring Wayne as Tom Donovan, a gunslinger who befriends a young lawyer named Ransom Stoddard, played by James Stewart. Together they seek to end the reign of terror caused by notorious outlaw Liberty Valance, played by Lee Marvin. Directed by John Ford, IMDb score of 8.1, Rotten Tomatoes score 93%. Eight from me. Highly enjoyable. Everyone played against type. It was, you know, some first expectations... And I, I fucking loved Liberty Valance. Yeah, fuck, I, I missed this one. And I loved it not because of John Wayne. He's the one part that really I could have done without. <laughs> Which, Which is so exciting for me. That's he took top me. billing despite not being the main character. Jimmy Stewart's Ransom Stoddard is the main character of the movie. But John Wayne does not share billing. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. Is it, like, substantial? The, like, screen time for... Oh, unbelievably substantial. Oh, wow, okay. It's, it follows Jimmy Stewart from, like, beginning to end, and John Wayne pops in occasionally. Damn. It's... Yeah, Lee Marvin was fucking great. Amazing bad guy. Liberty Valance is such a piece of shit. You hate him from beginning to end. And, oh, to see him get... I mean, you know he gets shot. The movie's called The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Yes, yeah, but, yeah. oh, that scene is perfect. <laughs> That's great. And it's... Yeah, it's great... Uh, oddly enough, uh, it has nothing to do with that famous Gene Pitney song, "The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance." <laughs> it was um, they had contracted Pitney to write a song for the movie, and then when he was like halfway through recording it, they're like, "Oh, we're not going to use it." And he's like, "Well, what the fuck? I'm already almost done, so I might as well finish what the song." The hell? <laughs> and he released it as a hit single. <laughs> oh my god! For the longest time, I thought that was the theme song to the movie. And I kept waiting for it, and it never showed never up. Never popped so up. Yeah. I had to find out what the deal was with that. Uh, it was nominated for one Oscar, costume design, but I would have given Lee Marvin the award for Best Supporting Actor. Hell yeah. He fucking should have gotten something. Next one. I know you watched this one, and you, you were texting me about some editing issues. 1962 is The Longest Day. Jesus fuck. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. That was sorry for the language. <laughs> Jeez, man. uh, Wayne stars as Lieutenant Colonel Benjamin Vandervoort, one of the commanders of the Battle of Normandy during World War II. This is the story of D-Day. It was based on a book by Cornelius Ryan, who also wrote the screenplay, directed by Andrew Martin, Ken Anakin, and Bernhard Wicke. Different directors directed different segments of the movie. Because it's so freaking long. It's a big one. It's it's two minutes shy of three hours. Yeah. And uh, there's... Uh, English parts of the movie, German parts of the movie, and French parts of the movie. It's the coolest part of, yeah, coolest aspect. It's very well done in that respect. Um, it co-stars Robert Mitchum, Henry Fonda, Who's... Richard Burton, and a young Sean Connery. Yeah, yeah. Really cool cast. Yeah. And Mitchum's awesome. It reminded me a lot of Dunkirk. Yes, that's in, exactly the feel I got. Yeah. In that, you know, the big names and the extras all kind of blend together. There's not really a main character here. Mm-hmm. It's just about the, the story. Yeah, yeah, just showing you what's going on. Yeah. And yet John Wayne tries at every opportunity to be the main character of the movie. He does. <laughs> he does. It's, like, obnoxious when he's on screen. <laughs> uh, it has an IMDb score of 7.8, Rotten 
Rotten Tomatoes score is 91%. I gave it an 8, but I don't think you liked it very much, right? No, I'd give it maybe a 7, yeah. Yeah. 6 or 7. There was that scene you texted me of the German soldier walking on the beach, and then all of a sudden it cuts away and he's like over there. <laughs> and that was horrible fucking editing. There's a few moments like that where, yeah, it just... And it's not even like hard to catch. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> like, you so saw if you were in the theater, you'd be like, you know, confused looking around. But it's a different time, 1962. <laughs> not, it, it's not that old, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it, it was frustrating. It was, it was poorly, to me, poorly done. Yeah, poorly done. This did score some Oscar nominations, but yes, silly, it did. silly me, I forgot to write them down. I know that it's it, okay. It, I think it actually got like film editing, which it, is it hilarious. Couple. Which is hilarious. I fucking, I hope not. <laughs> I th- it was not. I'm pretty sure it was nominated for film editing. It was nominated for best picture. I know that, and uh, I'm sure there were a couple, a lot of technical stuff. This was an ambitious movie. It very, yeah. This was Again, huge for 1962. Like, this was like the ultimate war movie at the time, and it, I think there are scenes that hold up. Like I, I love Robert Mitchum in this. Yeah, that's he's my favorite part of the of the film. Besides, I, I love the aspect of the them speaking their actual language. That's I'm, huge. I love that. You never see that. No, it's very rare. I'm surprised John Wayne even let them speak French in his movie mm-hmm. or German. Yeah, no, he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't really uh, like anybody who doesn't speak uh, white American English. You know, like yeah. fuck. Uh. Um, <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> Sean Connery actually did this the same year he did Doctor No. Hey, this that's, was, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Holy shit! And he, I didn't know this, but I can't fucking believe this. He has worn a hairpiece in every single movie he's ever been in, from Doctor No to. Leave extraordinary gentleman. He never good for him. He he was bald the beginning to end. Good for him, Sean. And he didn't embrace it until the eighties. <laughs> oh no! Until his property. Yeah, I was until yeah. until the Untouchables. He's like, all right, fine. <laughs> Love Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Yeah, he's great. The only actor who could be Russian, Spanish, Irish, American, and never change his voice once, and we would all just <laughs> take it, we'll just roll with it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> next up, 1963's McClintock. All right. Where Wayne plays George Washington McClintock, or GW to his friends. He's a rich cattle rancher who has a town named after him and is beloved by everyone in town except his ex-wife Catherine, played by Maureen O'Hara, who comes a calling and is pretty much a total bitch to everyone in sight until McClintock literally beats her in the town square while everyone watches and cheers. It's a strange film. That's the That's the climax. <laughs> Of the movie. Yeah, yeah, it's him beating a woman. It's him being like, fuck this, and literally like smacking her with a, uh, like a coal shovel until she's like, alright, fine, I'll listen to you. That's, wow. (laughs) That's fucked up for the 60s. What does that tell you about, uh, yeah, John Wayne's, uh, beliefs on, uh, gender equality, yeah. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The film co-stars Wayne's son, Patrick Wayne. Chill Wills, again. <laughs> Stephanie Powers and Jack Crucian. It was directed by Andrew V. McLaglin. IMDb score of 7.2. Rotten Tomatoes score of 67%. I gave it a 7. It Fair has enough. too many unresolved plot points, and it feels like a much less charming version of The Quiet Man. Yeah. Like, they tried to yeah. adapt that to an American audience, and the best they could come up with is massive spousal abuse. <laughs> Which, of there is... A bit of that in the Quiet Man as well. That's true. True. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that was just. But I guess I was I was reading the trivia. Maureen O'Hara said that in the scene where he spanks her, he spanked her so hard she actually had bruises. Oh my god! Like he didn't hold that. He didn't hold back. So she's actually screaming in pain in the movie, Jeez. which makes it a lot less uh, quirky and you know funny. Yeah, and more like oh this guy's he you know not. A... Jeez, I didn't know that. I didn't. Yeah. Know that. I don't like that. That was tough. That was tough. <laughs> I don't like that. And that movie's supposed to be a comedy, and it's very racist against a Native American. There's a character who's uh, seems to be a reoccurring theme. Yeah. And he's, he's a Native American character. I don't remember his name, but he's literally just walking around the whole movie looking for booze. There is no substance to his character at all. He's literally saying like whiskey, whiskey, Hodor. Where can I find the fuck Hodor? Hodor. Basically, yeah, he's whiskey. The, he's the drunk Native American Hodor. And there's a scene where they're all going to hang him, and it's played for laughs. I'm not even... It's fucking crazy. Jeez, dude. This is a very odd movie. Oh, man. McClintock. <laughs> all right. <laughs> McClintock. Also Road available House. on Amazon Prime if you feel like doing that. There's so... There's too many on Prime. Prime, take them down. We don't... <laughs> uh, we don't want the children seeing these. Jesus. Finally, 1969's True Grit. Where Wayne won his only Boo. Oscar. Boo! 
He won his only Oscar for playing Rough Around the Edges U.S. Marshal Rooster Cogburn, who agrees to help young Maddie Ross, played by Kim Darby, find the man who killed her father. The film co-stars country music star Glenn Campbell, because why the fuck not? <sighs> and uh, a young Dennis Hopper and, a, and Robert Duvall as outlaws, which is pretty cool. As an IMDb score of 7.5, a ridiculously high Rotten Tomatoes score of 88%. I gave it a 6. I this fucking hated Drew Grit. Dumb. That was yeah, not I, good. I would go as low as 5 for this. Yeah. I, was lo- I couldn't believe it. After hearing things about Stupid. this movie for so long, I was really bummed out. Thank, the, thank God the Coens remade this. Oh, yeah. You know? Big time. Terrible! It's terrible! It's he's he's a joke. He's fucking checked out the whole time. Yeah, uh, John Wayne. He's the film not won even... one Oscar, and that was Best Actor for John Wayne. Yeah, and that's his only that's his uh... his only nomination for acting, and his only Oscar. Even he was like, I shouldn't have gotten this. Yeah, this isn't what I. Yeah, he said that Richard Burton should have won it for his performance in Anne of the Thousand Days. He was nominated for it, and Wayne was like, Yeah, you should have gotten this. I don't know why I have this. <laughs> That's fucking crazy. Even Wayne was humble enough to see that, yeah, the people were wrong. Ugh. Holy shit. It was also nominated for Best Original Song for the title track, True Grit. Yeah. It had one sequel, 1975's Rooster Cogburn, in which Wayne returned, and Catherine Hepburn co-starred. No thanks. It was not well received, and Wayne was already well into a cancer diagnosis at the time. He would die uh, four years later. The film was remade in 2010 by the Coen Brothers with Jeff Bridges taking on the role of Rooster Cogburn. The 2010 remake is vastly superior and is a much more enjoyable film. It's one of the rare cases where the remake surpasses the original. For sure. Uh, and it's also not just surpasses, it's like by far and away better. No not, contest. Not even close. Everyone does a better job. Uh, Jeff Bridges is a guy we can actually get behind um, as a person as well as an actor. So, Well, Jeff Bridges brings to the role like a humanity and a yeah. war-torn stress yeah. that John Wayne did not fucking have. Yeah. Like, you believe that Jeff Bridges has been through some shit as For a marshal. Sure. John For Wayne sure. feels like he just walked out of his trailer and put an eye patch on. Again, yeah, checked out, man. I didn't <laughs> like it. Not Didn't like it at all. Ugh. And wasn't, didn't Midnight Cowboy come out that year? 1969, yeah. Yeah, so John Voight, you know. Uh, he, he beat John Voight. Yeah, how did, yeah. Oh, man. Fuck that, yeah. God damn. It's probably because Midnight Cowboy, what, you know, John Wayne probably was like in people's ear about not voting for that. So. Oh, I bet. I mean, he's... The film still took Best Picture. It won, yeah. Thank God. Just, he didn't get, uh, damn it. <laughs> that was very much a, you know, John Wayne's been around forever, we haven't given him anything, so here's an option. I hate that, though. I hate it when that happens so much. Give him a, one of those honorary awards later <laughs> on down the road. Or give it some time, and then you realize John Wayne was a piece of shit, and then you don't give him anything, because he shouldn't have been as popular as he was. He should not have. He, and the weird thing is, he was never hiding any of it. He was very much like, no. oh yeah, I hate everyone who's not Right white. on his sleeve, yeah. Like, <laughs> right in front of, yeah. A guy like this wouldn't exist today. It's no, it's impossible. no way. <laughs> it's impossible. It's amazing how dumb we were just 50 years ago, Ugh. 40 years ago. So those are some of the films that we believe best represented John Wayne as an actor and a superstar. So now that we've done all those, let's dig into The Conqueror. Oh, boy. The Conqueror was released in 1956, and it stars John Wayne as legendary historical psychopath and genocidal warlord Genghis Khan who ruled most of the known world in the 12th century. Despite this universal fact, John Wayne plays Genghis Khan as a noble hero who is saving the damsel in distress. It also, is, like, what the fuck? Genghis Khan, let's remember, John Wayne is a American, white American. and You, you, could, not get, Khan. <laughs> you could not get a whiter American actor than John Wayne in 1956. No, to play Genghis Khan. Yeah. Oh, boy. Not just that. There are no Asians in this movie. Yeah, at I was going to say overall, and the whole the whole picture. Yeah, the whole the movie takes place in 12th century Mongolia. Yeah, and there are no Asian people in it. What uh, the fuck? Offensive. That's not right. <laughs> Already from the get go, you can look on the IMDb and be like, oh, that's kind of weird. Yeah. Oh my god. Smith, Wayne, Johnson, like all these. Like, you remember the guy who plays like the shaman? Yeah. What the <laughs> fuck? That was the most racist <laughs> shit I've seen since Mickey Rooney. Oh my god. Holy shit. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the way he's just walking around with his like eyes taped together. Like, what What's worse, fuck? that or the the whiskey? Whiskey. I don't fucking know. There's, it sucks that there's options. There's like different characters. I should that not are be able most to, racist. I should not have to pick the most racist caricature in the John Wayne. Oh film. my gosh! All right, let's continue. Uh, it the Conqueror. Out, the Conqueror. Like this, you owe it to yourself to watch this just to see how it's fucking like, absurd it is. It's like comical that this was made. It's ridiculous. It. It's amazing this got past the, you know, let's cast John Wayne stage 
of this movie. Like, oh my oh, man. god. <laughs> Co-star Susan Hayward as the woman Khan kidnaps and rapes, and then she falls in love with him inexplicably, like halfway through, after saying, I fucking hate you and I'm gonna kill you most of the movie. The second he's captured, she's like, My love, I must save you. Like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> I know nothing about Genghis Khan, and I'm confident I could write a better movie than they beat the Oh, these for did. sure, for sure. <laughs> and just knowing where he's from. Like... Knowing where he's from and what he did. That's yeah. all I got, and I know more than these people do. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Shit. I've, I've scanned his Wikipedia page, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all I know oh is gosh. Genghis Khan is known for being one of the most evil sons of bitches who ever lived. Yes. Yeah. He's not John Wayne. No. You can't bring the American West to 12th century Mongolia and have it make sense. You I also don't do get that. why John Wayne was behind this. Like, what? Even he fucking was like, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, like, what? What? He said he made an ass out of himself, and I agree. No, nope. Big my time. God, it's a joke. <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> Ugh. Uh, Pedro Armanderas plays his friend and loyal soldier, Jamuga. Armanderas would later play James Bond's friend, Karim Bay, in 1963's From Russia with Love. And would kill himself soon after, once learning he had terminal cancer mm-hmm. and there was no way out. Yeah. That would happen a lot with The Conqueror. Sad stuff. It has an IMDb score of 3.5. <laughs> and it did not have a Rotten Tomatoes critic score. It has an audience score of 10%. <laughs> let, that so- let that soak in. <laughs> the critics were like, nah, fuck this. And the audience is like, oh, we'll, we'll give it a stab. Goddamn, man. <laughs> 3.5! <laughs> what? I love the point five. <laughs> Not quite up to four. Like, yeah, wow. I agree. Three is probably what I give it to. I three. think this is the lowest rated IMDb film I've ever watched. Yeah, yeah. I've watched like reality TV that has that, but I've never watched a movie that's just like, this is shit. Like, across the board. Oh my god! I gave it. Are a, there like, on IMDb? Yeah. Are there the critic reviews that you can read? Yes. yes oh hell are. yeah! Okay, cool. I'll have to do that someday. I'm I don't, sure they're hilarious. I, I doubt he did. I really would love to read a Roger Ebert review on this. Oh, he would decimate it, tear it apart. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. I gave this movie a five because while it's a terrible movie, it is unintentionally hilarious the entire time. Yeah, yeah. It's f- like this is mystery science theater fodder <laughs> at its best. They need to do this film. And uh, it was, I mentioned earlier, it was produced by legendary reclusive billionaire Howard Hughes. Yes. Responsible for revolutionizing the aviation industry in the 20th century and uh, locking himself in his hotel in the penthouse and watching Ice Station Zebra on repeat and pissing into bottles. That's, uh, that's what people remember of Howard Hughes. People forget, like, he, he made some movies. Yeah, Hell's, yeah. Hell's Had Angels comes to mind. Yeah. He was uh, played by Leonardo DiCaprio in 2004 as The Aviator. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, if you want some more light on that. Yeah. Yeah. Great movie. When we, we'll, when we do Scorsese down the road, we'll talk more about that one. Uh, he would later p- pay $12 million for every existing copy of The Conqueror because of guilt after many cast and crew were diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. And uh, he would say that this was his uh, biggest regret, which is sad. It was filmed at Snow Canyon State Park in Utah, which was downwind of Yucca Flats, known atomic testing site in which 11 atomic bombs were dropped in just 1953. There was a lot more before that. And nuclear fallout lasts longer than 10 years. Oh, yeah. So At least, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. It's amazing. It really is. It's shocking. Even you might, anyone who's listening to this might go want to like research this or see things for themselves on the internet. It's actually not that easy to find good articles about it. Like it's almost yeah. hid- it's almost hidden. Oh, extremely! I had a tough time, and it, and it was very hidden. Definitely during the time. Like, oh yeah, um, very scary. It wasn't until like the eighties where people somebody did an article because they kept finding people yeah. who were connected to that dying. film who were dying yeah. of cancer, and they researched it and they found out about the set, you know, where it was filmed, and it was Howard Hughes who chose that spot, and he would call it the worst mistake of his life. He lived with it. You know, he lived with those bodies on his conscience. For sure. And that's that's devastating. I mean, he didn't know. It's very sad. It was distributed by RKO Pictures, one of the big ones back in the day. And this film was such a financial disaster that it completely destroyed RKO Pictures. Oh, yeah. The the 
Oh man, you like go back and like look at yeah the budget and things. Like the trailer was this big grand, like, oh, yeah. three minute long. What thing did you say? That... Like Titanic and spectacle, right? Yes, yeah, it's exactly yeah. what it says. It's amazing. It's like wow, they're like building this thing up to be this masterpiece at yeah. the at the height, you know, peak of his powers, John Wayne. This was know? not you know Wednesday night in September. This was prime summer movie season. Yes, release. This was and this huge. is also during a time when summer movies started becoming. Uh, we, we're going to talk about that one day's. Um, you're starting to shift into new Hollywood stuff, and like as you get into the '60s, but uh, man, it was there's a this there's a lot riding on this movie. <laughs> oh, for sure, and it's a really big part of uh, that that era, that decade. Yes, for sure. So, but one movie completely wiped out one of the biggest. Uh, produ- studio. Yeah, that'd be like if a movie came out today that was such a huge, massive financial disaster that it wiped Warner Brothers off the map. Yeah, yeah, like that would be insane. <laughs> And that happened in 1956. It's just like the, these companies now wouldn't invest in something that they know isn't surefire like that. Like there are there are things that happen where they lose money, companies lose money. It just doesn't hit. It's not the right time. But the, never like this, where it would wipe you out clean. Like oh yeah. shit, we can never make a movie again. I don't remember the last time that happened. Like maybe like well, the Weinstein company fell apart for different reasons. Yeah, way different. Yeah. But I don't remember in my lifetime if that's ever happened. Where a no, movie I know it has. It hasn't. No, we haven't seen that before. I kind of want to see it. I want to know, like, hell yeah, what would a modern day equivalent of the Conqueror be? I don't. I just don't want it to have like kill Black people. Panther with a white guy. Like, what would, what would happen? Like that? Exactly. That's like exactly. <laughs> yeah. If, if if Black Panther starred Matt Damon. Yes. Exactly. Are you serious right now? Like, <laughs> the fuck. And this, it takes place in Africa, and there are no black people in the movie. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Think about that. Ben Affleck is Killmonger. Let that like, sit. Like, let that sit in. You take these Ugh. things that John Wayne did, and like was in like uh, like the decisions he made in his life. You step step back and look at, it and you're like, "Are you kidding me? <laughs> are you kidding me? This guy, like the way he operated, is a fucking joke." This film got way way too far with no with anybody speaking up. Like, nobody said fucking word. There's also that fucking scene where he's, like, essentially molesting somebody, or I guess is what you'd say, and there's, like, soft music playing. Yes! What the fuck? That bugged the fuck out of me, man. Like, it, that he's was raping like, this woman. That was and, like, I kind of want to fast forward. Yeah, like, it's like Gone with the Wind's, like, dramatic score is playing while he's raping this woman. Yes, yeah, oh essentially, essentially, it's ridiculous. It's fuck that movie. <laughs> yeah. 3.5. Oh, 3.5. 10%. I, yeah. 10%. <laughs> All right. So regarding the cancer, now I did find um, some th- some sources that do say that there is a normal reason behind that amount of cancer diagnosis in that group. Okay. Now there was this was a time when everyone smoked like there was no tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. We didn't like, really have the knowledge we do today. No about. smoking did not exist. You could smoke on a plane. You could smoke in a restaurant. Anywhere. Didn't so matter. Movie set. Yeah, yeah. Everything. And this was like you know four or five packs a day. Like people were just. Chain smoking like there was no tomorrow. There was nothing, yeah. And according to the National Cancer Institute, at the time the article was written, the overall incidence of being, of being diagnosed with cancer in a person's lifetime was about 40%. As it happens, this is the same number today. So in a cohort of 220 people, roughly 88 of those 220 would be diagnosed with cancer at some point. So that's those numbers match up. Mm-hmm. But with you know knowing... About the irradiated soil and the eleven nuclear bombs, what what do you think? It's no coincidence. Yeah, it's no coincidence. I, yeah, no coincidence at all. It's too many. <laughs> and the fact that it's so hidden, yeah, is yeah, it's no coincidence. The fact they tried to bury this shit, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. Otherwise, they wouldn't care. Yeah, they would. Exactly. They wouldn't be hiding about it. They'd they would like, be showing. Be, look that. how look how shitty yeah. smoking is. Mm-hmm. Like, this would be a great ad campaign for. Yeah, smoking, smoking killed 46 people on this yeah. movie set, not but no. the nuclear test site down the road. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oof. So those are the movies. Now let's talk about John Wayne, the man. Brace yourself. So in 1964, John Wayne endorsed Arizona Senator Barry Goldwater for president. Who was running? Who's Barry Goldwater, Carl? Barry Goldwater was running against incumbent President Lyndon B. Johnson, who would later win by a landslide because his opponent was batshit crazy... And we used to be able to recognize that. (laughs) Goldwater was opposed to the Civil Rights Act of 1964, calling it an overreach by the U.S. government. He was staunchly anti-communist and supported using nuclear weapons in Vietnam. He believed nukes should be treated more like conventional weapons, and that we should swing our big American dick around more often than we already did. (laughs) He would also casually mention nuking Russia 
and many psychiatrists found him mentally unfit to be president. This is the guy that John Wayne threw his support behind. What are your thoughts on that? Sounds kind of like the guy who's, uh, who's our president right now, huh? Yeah, we dodged his bullet <laughs> once only to get shot in the back of the head with it 20, you know, 60 years later. <laughs> oh, man. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. If that doesn't say enough about John Wayne and who he stood behind, then you're an idiot, you yeah. know? But I believe you found something way more damning yeah. on John Wayne, and I think everyone would like to hear about this. Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> Republican State Assemblyman Matthew Harper of Huntington Beach sought to declare May 26th as John Wayne Day, because that was his birthday. John Wayne Day. Fuck <clears throat> Assemblyman Louis Alejo objected. He had deserving views toward race. What do you mean? This is a quote from a 1971 interview. I'm sure if you know a lot about John Wayne, you might have... You know, d- dove into the uh, Playboy interview from 1971. It's like eight hours long. Um, lots, lots of stuff there. Lots of content. Ooh. Here's a quote from John Wayne in the interview. I believe in white supremacy until the blacks are educated to a point of responsibility. I don't believe in giving authority and positions of leadership and judgment to irresponsible people. Fuck. Oh, my God. <laughs> Ooh. Uh... That's uh, that's insanity right there. Like that's aggressive. It's insanity. very aggressive. That's 1971. That's not. This is a time civil rights was something he was very against. Uh, from what I've read, he was against women's rights. And here's a time in 71 where it's like, hey man, we're start starting to see things. We're starting to do things. And he's just a huge, huge influence in America. And he's like, no, this is what you should believe. So, if you're a fan of his and you liked his movies during that time, you're like, oh, I guess he's right. He's John Wayne. I'm going to go with that. So, fuck him for abusing his power <laughs> as what he was, the power he had to influence people. He could have said something along the lines of, we should all be equal. And then, you know, it changes everything. So, the fact that he said, has quotes like this, especially this interview in 1971 with Playboy, is mind-boggling, horrible things. He said about the Native Americans, another quote is that they are selfish people that were hiding land from us. Wow. Unbelievable. Unbelievable stuff out there, like, way out there stuff that not enough people know about. This guy has a fucking airport named after him in California with a statue, a nine-foot statue of him that needs to be taken down. (laughs) The airport needs to be changed. The name needs to be changed. Especially in fucking California, you know? Um... It's ridiculous stuff. Like, he is a terrible, terrible, was a terrible, terrible man. And the way we remember him is not correct. No. <laughs> so, I'll let you take the floor from, <laughs> from there. I did, regarding that uh, quote about black people, I just pictured him saying that alone in a room, thinking he's being interviewed, but there's nobody there. Like, yeah. just a senile old man going, like, I hate the blacks. Yeah, just, like, uh, It's that kind of crazy, like, homeless uh. ranting. That's what that sounds like. That does not sound like the, you know, a quote from a rational mind. That sounds like not some, at all. some wacky shit you'd hear on the sidewalk. But this was John Wayne. This was Oscar winner John Wayne. One of the most influential men in Hollywood. Ever. Ever. ever period. Ever. And <laughs> why do we, why do we glamorize this guy? The movies weren't that good. No. The man was a monster. Why do we continually go back to him? I'm John Wayne at the first Thanksgiving <laughs> pilgrims. Like he's referenced over. Yeah. And over and over. It's amazing. And here we are talking about him, hoping to just oh, just think for a second. Research yourself. Like, geez, Louise, man. I know there's people out there who know he was a conservative Republican, like kind of asshole, kind of aggressive guy. But no, there's way more there. And his his ability to movies that came out at certain times. There's a movie in the 60s about the Vietnam War. Yeah. This and that, his political agenda. He kind of controlled so many things in Hollywood and in the industry that it's disgusting. He had an entire film made because he hated the screenwriter who wrote another movie. Exactly, yeah. The power, the power, and he he, he abused it. With yeah. quotes like that, you, you're abusing your power. Ugh. And you're you're unfair to a lot of people. And that's not right. No, <laughs> that's not, it's not. That is the furthest thing from right. So, knowing all this about John Wayne, knowing what we know now, having watched the movie. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think people still worship this guy? media because of uh, because of America's way to like manipulate people so you um, think like America controls the narrative yeah I think and, so especially with, especially during his time you yeah know? Um, maybe not now like I said he wouldn't exist now There's, it's impossible too many people would be like no 
Like, no. Like, we are too strong now. They're, the minorities are, are, are too strong now and too have too strong of will and have seen too much, been through too much to be like, I'm, no, like, they're going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep fighting with those people. Uh, this guy needs this guy needs to be almost erased, in my opinion. If you love his movies, awesome. Like you, you separate, you know, the actor from the person. Cool, that's fair. I, we did that with Roman Polanski. I'm probably still gonna watch some of his movies, even though he committed a horrible crime. But this is a day in day out personal beliefs philosophy of life. John Wayne is messed up. Yes, messed up. And people, you know, you, you can't ignore that. You have to look at the signs. <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, you know. There's too much. It's just, it's not isolated incidents. He endorsed arguably the most insane evil man to ever run for president. He threw his support behind him. He was very vocal about, you know, inequality among, among race. Mm-hmm. And people still went to see his movies. People oh, still, yeah. People still love him. People have posters in their dorm rooms. People love John Wayne. People live and die by John Wayne. And a lot of people don't fucking know anything about the guy. No. Or they really, just have blinders on. They don't give a shit. It's really messed up. And you know, you, of course you can dig up things about actors or this and that, but not, again, not the day in, day out, like, actual beliefs of how to treat people. And this is an actor. This is a guy working in art. Like, art not is supposed to be actor, a place where... A producer. Oh, everything. An yeah. influencer, a director. Everything. He's, again, he's one of the most well-recognized people in Hollywood ever. Mm-hmm. For sure. Ever. It's ridiculous. It's it's terrible. And I, I want to point something out that's going on <clears throat> right now. There's a... It came out uh, last month. Um, the four-part miniseries called When They See Us. That I think is a must-see. And for along the same lines as this, as... You cannot allow stuff to be fed to you or for for someone to represent, like, say, like, in these movies with John Wayne, there's a lot of the brown person, the this, like, they are evil, they are criminal. And when you allow that to seep in and become your belief, that's how racism is, like, seeded into you and rooted into you. And uh, I think when they see us is something that is a must-see that people must watch, not because it's the greatest quality or the best acting, which I think the acting is very good. But because of the story and because of the knowledge it's going to give you about race in our country, real real problems in our country where uh, things are controlled at the top and you have to be very careful what you actually listen to and what uh, information you're being given. You have to do your research. And I encourage people to watch things like that and listen to people like us talk about, we actually did the research and we watched the movies and we're here to tell you that he wasn't a good man or a good actor. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Good man, I didn't expect. Good, I, I expected a decent actor. Yeah, me too. 178 me too. films, a lot of them regarded as you know 20th century classics. What? Why? Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I don't get why. Yeah, that's the one thing I cannot fucking figure out for the life of me. Mind boggling. Mind boggling. It's cr- it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Open your minds, guys. <laughs> so that's John Wayne, an American icon with an uncompromising dark side. Duke held grudges, and he held them forever. Does he deserve to be held to such esteem these days on the Mount Rushmore of 20th century actors? In my opinion, hell fucking no, he doesn't. No, no, not at all. He made virtually the same movie 178 times with only a handful of good ones, and he was outspoken against everything positive for change. He was a terrible human being, and more people need to know that. His movies reflect he wanted more of the same. More of the same, and that's what his fucking movies were. He wanted more of the same, let's just keep the way it is, you know, if it ain't broke, don't, you know, don't fix it. It is. And <laughs> there's a quote, this is great, there's a quote from the director of what I, the miniseries I just brought up, Ava DuVernay, says, we have to remember that the system is not broken, it was built this way. And John Wayne is 100% a supporter of that and like always push that, always push that agenda. And that is, ugh, that's a wrong way to live. <laughs> well fucking said. Thank you so much for tuning in to our third Weird Shit Wednesday. This has been Connor Azagari and Austin Johnson, the Statler and Waldorf of old forgotten Hollywood bullshit. (laughs) As always, feel free to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or YouTube, and shoot us a message or suggestion via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or email at filmgasm at gmail.com. We love feedback of all kinds. Anything we can do to make this more enjoyable. 
and I fucking had a blast doing this one. This yeah, one, this is big. This I needed to big. get this out of my head. I, me too. Yeah. I told you I was angry kind of all yeah. day. I was kind of in a mood all day. Not, not. It didn't like affect me, but in my own mind, I was like, man, I, I'm ready to get this stuff out because I, I think it's important. Yeah, I think absolutely. this is an important episode. <laughs> but I, I, and I, I don't want to offend anyone who is a fan of his work. I really don't. I really don't want to do that. That's not my goal. No. I don't think that's our goal at all. No. Our goal was to watch the movies ourselves, and you know, or what movies we could, and give you our insight on the research we've done about the person and what happened to him yeah. and the actions he took and the stuff he was invested in. So. Our, his films just weren't our thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's just how it goes yeah. sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that might just be because, you know, I started... My first ever Western was an Italian spaghetti Western, so that was the template yeah. that I had yeah, and yeah. the expectations It's kind of I timing, had. yeah, timing yeah. of when you watch, you know. If you were, like, 10 when you watched all these, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a good point. Yeah. Man. <laughs> So, next Friday sees the release of the Child's Play remake. Yes. Oh, so, yeah. what better time to tackle the Chucky franchise? Hell yeah. That's next Wednesday, fun. we're going to do Child's Play. Or, I'm going to do Child's Play. I'll take you through all seven Chucky films, from the original Child's Play to Cult of Chucky. And I'm going to try to dig into why this franchise has lasted so long, and how Chucky has become a pop culture icon. And in the meantime, stay American, Pilgrim. And say no to communism. <laughs>